Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Philippians again. We're in chapter 3. And if you're here this morning and need a Bible, there's some guys that will come forward and put one in your hand. We're going to read one verse congregationally together. I didn't get our uh, faithful Chris the verse for the screen this morning, but just read it in whatever version you have. We're going to read Philippians uh, 3, verse 20 together, and then I'm going to walk us through the passage, but would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, all together, here we go, ready? For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful verse. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for gathering us today. Thank you for granting us the ability to not only be together in this place, but to share the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ through the airwaves. Thank you for your great grace in our lives. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we invite you to cause this living word to be alive in us, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, cause that to be so. We, we know you've promised that it won't return unto you void, that it will accomplish the thing for which it is sent. And we would ask, Lord, also, that this morning you would speak at this moment through this word to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I've entitled this morning's message, uh, Signs, Noting the Signs for the Citizen of Heaven. Did you know that according to uh, the NewAmericanCampaign.org, <clears throat> the requirements for citizenship in the United States are very clear. I'd like to share those with you. First of all, you must be 18 years of age or older. You must have an authorized uh, permit to work in the United States, often referred to as a green card, uh, for five years. You must have that authorization. Or if you're married, it's three years. You must have a continuous residence in the United States for at least five years, and if married, then three years, and be physically present at that residence. You must be able, these are stated, newamericancampaign.org, you must be able to read, write, and speak English. There are some um, what we would call exceptions if there are uh, disabilities and that sort of thing. But textually, in the requirements, it's there. <clears throat> the last three really interested me. You must have a knowledge and understand the fundamentals of United States history and our government. Six, you must be a person of good moral character. Seven, 
you must take a loyalty oath to the United States to support the Constitution of the United States and this form of government. Requirements for citizenship in our great country. Now, <clears throat> the process, uh, according to some websites, takes about 10 months. The cost, $725. Uh, just this last July of 2020, 44,000 applications uh, were made for citizenship here. In August, there were 40,000. But guess what? If you're born here, all of those requirements go away. If you are birthed in this country, you become a citizen of this country by reason of birth. And I share all of that with us this morning because there is clearly a contradiction as it relates to uh, what Paul is talking about here about a citizen of heaven. Many of you may already know this, but to those who are unsure or have not considered this before, there is no amount of legal steps that you can take to acquire heavenly citizenship. There are no amount of legal requirements that you or I can meet in order to qualify us for heavenly citizenship. We don't achieve it by a confirmation class. We don't get it by what some would call infant baptism. We don't inherit it. We don't gain it by following Allah or Buddha or any other awe. In fact, there is only one way in which heavenly citizenship can be granted, and that's to be born into the kingdom of God through a spiritual rebirth that only takes place when a person acknowledges that they are dead in their trespass and sins and responds to the offer of salvation through Christ Jesus and his redemptive blood on the cross of Calvary. That is the only way one can say they are a citizen of heaven. And when one makes that confession of faith in Christ and is born again, they can honestly say they are a citizen of heaven. Is that you today? Is that you at home? Are you sure? Are you positive? You see, this morning, in this small passage before us, the Apostle Paul makes these declarations on this subject. And we'll endeavor to note the signs in which he gives that relate to heavenly citizenship and conclude with uh, that question. That I know I am a citizen, or I want to be sure that I am a citizen of heaven. And so we're going to take a minute, a few minutes, to go through these, what I call these signs noted by the apostle in our passage. I want you to back up with me to verse 17. Verse 17. 
Reading verse 17, we find that Paul writes, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And the first uh, observation we would make is that noting the pattern of the faithful, joining it and following it is certainly uh, this sign that he talks about. Noting the pattern of the faithful, joining that pattern, and following that pattern. Paul uses the word there in 17, he uses the word example. And interesting, you might say, well, what example is that? Uh, many of you who read your Bible often or have spent time in the New Testament, of course, over this last couple of weeks, we've been uh, succinctly going through what Paul's example has been. We addressed uh, the building blocks of Christ-likeness as we dealt with uh, chapter 2 through verses 1 through 16. Uh, we dealt with the subject of the sacrifice and service of faith in verses 17 through 30. Uh, we also went ahead and took a, a live swing at what true worship in the spirit of God is. And we were just there last week. And one of the things we, we landed on primarily was that we're to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of us. True spiritual worship has nothing to do with um, hyper activity or demonstrative acts. True spiritual worship. And so Paul here, according to one commentator, Erdmans says, quote, that uh, he was compelled to make his own example as the norm and standard for the new life. Why? Because as yet, at this writing, there, there were no others, really. And so what he's saying, in, assess, in essence, is become imitators. When he uses that phrase, follow and join, become imitators of me. Because at that time, there had been no others to observe. But I want to uh, break this down just a bit. It's important that we understand the word note in verse 17. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, you might want to jot this down. Uh, it is interesting that here in our uh, version, it is used um, as the word note. In the King James Version of the Bible, or what we would call the authorized version, Texas Receptus, the word mark is employed. And in either translation, this is what the original word means. It means to, quote, to fix the attention upon with a desire for or interest in. Let me restate it. To fix the attention upon with a desire for or interest in. Another way to rephrase that would be to say, to observe intently. 
So again, you look at that verse and Paul is saying, observe intently those who so walk. Here's my example. Join me in following my example and fix your attention upon with a desire for or interest in those who also walk that way. Because you have us, as he says, as you have us for a pattern. The next important word in that verse is the word pattern. It is a word correctly translated again in the King James Version of the Bible, and sample. And it takes its root word from uh, a word which means to like strike a blow. And you would say, how, how is that, you know, how is that uh, applicable here? If you picture a, a stamp being made in particularly this period of time, the way a impression, a visible impression on, on papery or uh, some hard surface of wood or something else that could receive an impression, the way that impression was made is that the mold would be created, the, uh, the dye would be set down on the item in which you wanted the impression to receive, and then a strong boom, a blow, would be hit in order for that impression now to be left on the material. And so taking the truth of that basic word into our understanding of what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, you know, here's my example. Join me and follow me. Okay? And intently observe those who also do so because the work of the Spirit of God in their life has left an impression you look at their lives and you see Christ. You see Jesus. You see the person, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Weist translates this, become imitators of me and observe intently those who conduct themselves in a manner which detectable the example that you have in us. So if we were just look at Paul's life, I know that's hard to do, right? I mean, I'm just a Joe worker. Paul's the great Paul the Apostle. Yes. But what are some of the common denominators that reach across to each of us this morning? Well, he had a genuine conversion to Christ. There was no, no doubt in his mind about the time, the day, and event in which he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ the Lord. I 
would not dare to question anyone's salvation. That's not my job. Perhaps you at times will run into people or someone in the church, and we're going to talk about people in the church in just a moment because it's our second point, but they, they can't remember ever really committing their life to Christ. They've just always believed. And I say, okay, But when I read this text and I consider his life as an example, we certainly have someone who knows the day and the event in which he committed his life to Christ. Genuine conversion, that's a common. he worked to support himself as he lived his life in Christ, though an evangelist, though also the apostle. We know him also as a, a tent maker. He worked often to just support himself and didn't expect to be compensated for sharing the gospel message, what Jesus had done in him and for him and is doing through him. He just lived his life working to carry himself through. Um, Another common denominator is he carried his message of the saving grace of God through Christ Jesus everywhere he went. It wasn't restricted to uh, the synagogues in which he often visited. And then once when he, at one point when he finally said, "I, I wash my hands, you know, I'm not guilty of the blood of all men from now on this point. I will go to the Gentile because he had been so rejected by the Jewish community. But his message and what God was doing had done for him and through him was not restricted to any one circle. He shared it wherever he was. Common denominator. And another common denominator is that he influenced others because of his passion for the work of God. So I think that's, that, that's a great example. I mean, we want to look to Jesus and none other. We don't want to look to a man. But second to that, we do want to embrace everything the scripture has to, to teach us. It is our final authority for faith and practice. Okay, so here we have it. Contextually, Paul's writing to Christians in Philippi, the Spirit of God would then therefore be writing to you and I and saying to you and I, Paul says, follow my example and observe intently those who also walk in the same way. Okay. Uh, A book I would highly recommend if you're wanting to know, okay, well, what are some other examples? I, I see that Paul wants me to follow. Of course, there's so many in Scripture. So many in Scripture. Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, the prophets, Isaiah, Zechariah, Stephen in the New Testament, Peter, James. Read about them in Scripture. Absorb. Go deep into the Word of God. And then, and then on top of that, if you want some uh, others, 
Great book by Warren Wiersbe, 50 People Every Christian Should Know. Do you know these people? <laughs> Do you know these people? You can get to know them through this book. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan, A.W. Tozer, Amy Carmichael, Fanny Crosby, Jonathan Edwards, James Hudson Taylor, and more. Oh, should be on your library of every believer. Because, why, why should I have this book? Why should I read this book? Because the Word of God tells me. Observe intently those who so walk with a desire for or interest in. Dolores often will carry this book in our resource center. She can get it. Note the pattern of the faithful. Join that pattern and follow that pattern. Clearly a citizen of heaven is doing that. The apostle goes on. Our second observation, of course, would be to noting those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. I draw your attention to verse 18. He says... For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. One of the things that's interesting I would ask us to pay attention to is the word walk. Because uh, in the context of the passage, and once again it's important always to never take something out of context. If you do that in your Bible study, you can end up with uh, a whole bunch of odd and strange theology. But if you keep everything in its context and you place the things that are in context against the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. And in your approach to Bible study, you remember to keep things in their context, to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and you take the whole counsel of God into play. Paul is obviously talking about people in the church in Philippi here. He's not talking about unsaved, or at least those who have not espoused a conversion to Christ. Thank you. There's no way we can read this and say, oh, he's not talking about, he must not be including um, professing believers in Philippi with the word walk. Because he's talking about those who walk so, right? For many walk, of whom I've told you. And listen to the heart of this brother this man, this apostle, this evangelist, weeping. This is not a judgment of like, I'm better than they. This is a broken heart. Paul vested much time in the city of Philippi and in the church there. It was close to his, the people there were very close to his heart. And so to get this report, 
irregardless of our position in ministry, of our place in the church, in the body of Christ, when we hear of these things taking place in the lives of those who profess Christian truth, we should grieve also. Barclay, one commentator, he says, there were those in the church in Philippi whose conduct was an open scandal and who, by their lives, showed themselves to be enemies of the cross of Christ. <clears throat> we don't know who they are by name. Uh, what were they involved in? Well, they were involved in gluttonous, immoral, uh, using Christianity as a way to justify their behaviors. And there are um, a few possibilities here just by reason of history. I'll share those with you. Okay, So one possibility is that in the church there, there were some that held on to what, what is called Gnostic beliefs. Uh, and there were two types of Gnostics. <clears throat> uh, Gnosticism or a Gnostic uh, embraced the idea that, that there were two realities in, in life and in the world. One was a spiritual reality and the other was a, uh, a physical reality or spirit and matter. Okay? So the Gnostics said that the only really important part is the spiritual part. The matter or the physical part is it's all evil. All matter is evil. All Physical things are evil. So therefore, it's tricky to follow this thinking, but the Gnostic would then therefore say, because all physical things, all matter are evil, it makes no difference what you do with them. So they would look at the body as being evil and therefore it didn't matter how you treated the body. You could live an immoral life. You could be drunken and glutton. And it didn't matter because in the Gnostic frame of mind, the spirit was the only thing important. That was one type. The second type of Gnostic uh, believed that a human being could not be complete. And if you're taking note at home as well, you could not be complete unless you... Um, experienced all that life had to offer. Therefore, it was everyone's duty to dive into the depths of sin as well as try to reach the heights of virtue. And you might have this blank look on your face like, how did they get there? Good question. You should have a blank look on your face of how did they get there. And that my point exactly, if you're going to just take a word here and a word there and a piece there and a piece there and not do the whole thing, you can end up with a whole bunch of silly theological ideas that you believe to be true. They believed them to be true and at the same time were seeking to profess Christian truth. A second possibility of those that Paul is referring to is a group or a sect that had come out of the law 
of Judaism. And now with their uh, misunderstanding of the law being in history, now we don't have to pay any attention to the law, that the law is gone, that we are free, they would take liberty to twist the grace of God and to pervert the liberty that one has in Christ to live any way they wanted and justify it by saying God is a forgiving God. As I said, who they were precisely, we, we don't know. Again, one commentator, clever Gnostics with false arguments, misguided Christians who twisted, their, uh, twisted the loveliest things into justification for the most vilest of sins. We don't know. But Paul says, that, says to them, And says to the Philippians, he says that, take note, mark, observe intently, not with an desire for, but to observe, right? These four things about these kind of individuals that are in the church. I want to reiterate, because I think it's important. Number one, look at the verse, it says, uh, verse 19, whose end is described whose God is their belly. So first of all, their physical appetites rule and dominate their decisions and behavior in life. Their physical appetites. What, and I don't just mean food, but I mean that can be food. It, it, it's a broad horizon there. Their physical appetites, what they want to touch, feel, and do, rule... Here's this person saying they're a Christian. Here's this person that's saying they're in the church. But their physical appetites rule their decisions and their behavior. That's what Paul's referring to. God is their belly. Notice it's little g. What is your God this morning? Our beloved Pastor Chuck used to say that your God is whatever you give most of your time, attention, and affection to. Secondly, we see that they, these individuals, whoever they are, both then and now, they take value in immoral, shameless behavior. They value it. Their glory is in their shame. Now, would be to God that there's no one in this room or watching at home or within the sound of my voice that takes value in immoral, shameless behavior and says that they're a Christian. They just haven't gone to church today or they don't go to church. For what? Thirdly, they are consumed with as we read, their glory is their shame. 
says, who set their mind on earthly things. They are concerned, consumed with a mental target of earthly, material, social things. In other words, their, their whole focus is down here. They're consumed with things down here, whether that's physical things, social things, material things. Mentally, their target is here, not there. And yet they're in the church, Paul is saying. They're calling themselves Christians, Paul is saying. Those are strong words, aren't they? That's strong stuff this morning. Because we know no one here absolutely fits this bill, right? Has never even crossed your mind. Or has it? Or does it? Are these things things you and I all wrestle with? You just got to give that pause and say, Lord, right? Because the compass, I'm just not on my notes, but the compass, you ever set a compass that works right? Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, next to a magnet or metal, and what happens when it gets close to the, uh, the thing that causes it to operate dysfunctionally, it's no longer true. So I don't know about your lives as we go through these things. I, I'm not in your living rooms. I'm not watching what you do 24-7. But your Savior is. And when you get close to those things that make that compass, you know, not work correctly, this is our compass. This just tells us what true is. And it's our responsibility to know truth. Interestingly enough, Paul begins with their end is destruction. Now, I'm not going to, you know, catapult us into the ivory tower of who's saved, who's not saved, once saved, always saved. I... You know, let's not do that right this moment. We can do that sometime. I'm, I love to get in that ivory tower and discuss those deep theological truths about what happened. I mean, you got the thief on the cross that didn't ever obey one jot and tittle of the law. And yet the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise. He's never baptized. You have examples of individuals that have genuinely converted or genuinely had an encounter with the living God and have walked away from that. Are they saved? Personal story. I won't try to answer that question, but personal story. I've shared these before, but I share them because at times there are new folks among us that that uh, haven't heard the story. 
testimony. I mean, for me, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't really consider the things of God at all. I remember in the, the sixth grade on my way to Burkhalter Elementary School one day to spend time with my friend David Patterson. It was a Sunday afternoon. We walked by a church and this little tiny church, the doors were open. We could hear people singing. I thought, ah, that's interesting. That was about it. Fast forward, junior high schools, uh, eighth, summer of eighth grade to ninth grade, I get invited to a Christian summer camp, Hume Lake in Fresno. I went. And I'd never heard about things of God. I was there all week long. And man, they saturate you with the word of God. The, the leader there at that time, man, precious man by the name of Ken Poor. And you'd have a Bible study in the middle of the day, a Bible study in the afternoon. You have a Bible study at night, campfires, food, fun, games, everything. We get to Friday night at the end of that week. And I'm like, the guy, it's the last evening. And I've just been hearing the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And Friday night, and, and he says, so he read out a revelation about the lake of fire and, and who's you know, going to burn for eternity. He said, do you want to make sure you're going to go to heaven? Raise your hand. I said, whoa, me. You know, it's like, and so, okay, if you raise your hand, I want you to stand. Okay, I stand. So there were 300 or so um, uh, teens there, you know, in, in that amphitheater outside campfire. And, and so we, we're stood. And so now if you're standing, I want you to come down to this fireside right here. Come on, walk on down. And so we make our way down to the campfire. And Pastor Ken Poor led us in a prayer that just said, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ is, is your son. Uh, I believe that I'm, I know that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness of my sin. I, I know that he died on the cross to forgive me of my sin. I ask him to forgive me, and I receive his forgiveness and invite him to come and, and be my savior. If you said that prayer, we have some material for you, and they marched us off and got some material at home. Why am I sharing that? Well, when I came down from that hillside, and that week-long inoculated experience, Christians all around me and everything, I came back to Oakland. And I had already started rock and roll bands. And my rock and roll buddy said, hey, man, how you doing? I said, good, good. You will never believe what happened to me this last week. I just met Jesus. And they went, what? <laughs> I said, I met Jesus. He's real. I said, okay, good. <laughs> Have it." hit <laughs> some of you who are from my generation know exactly what I'm talking about okay so so let's stop right there and let's take a pause because what I have to be very careful to do is not do, um, blame shift you know what that means? That when you point a finger at somebody else, three point back at you. Now, I could easily tell you that, well, the church that I went to the camp with didn't have any follow-up. And so no one ever really reached out to me. And I didn't you know, end up going to church and learning the Bible and 
understand what I did. Okay, I could say that, and that is true. But I'm, I'm what am I, 15? I'm responsible for my choices. And what, what was an experience over the course of a week, an experience, an encounter, I will call that a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ, faded into the view of what I and my peers were doing. I continued in the rock and roll scene. I continued to use. I continued to abuse and some of you know the story, I've shared it, but maybe it's important one more time, I guess, why am I doing this? Didn't plan to. But fast forward 13 years later, when I am a dope addict that has hawked everything he has for his fix, would just as soon rip you off as look at you, had destroyed so many relationships around me. If I had, here's your theological homework for the day. If I had died, would I have gone to heaven? Don't answer that. As you ponder that, as you think about that, when Paul says their end is destruction, Is he, is he talking about an eternal end? Is he talking about what they reap in this life? I want you to, I want you to wrestle with that. Because I'm not here to answer that for you this morning. What I'm here to do is is bring us through this passage and let the word itself dig deeply into your own heart. Because Paul, having said that their end will be destruction, not sure if that's an eternal one or just a a, uh, destruction in life, the things they destroy while they are living this way here, he goes on to say, for our, now this is a collective word, For our citizenship is in heaven. To finish the story, at the bottom of my pit, when I got a glimpse of just how depraved and ruined I was making my own life, I found myself camping one night up in Yosemite, and there I was again at a campfire. And I, it just must have been, I'm gonna, I was totally spiritualized the thing right now. It was like fast forward from then to there. Campfire then, you remember? Campfire now. And I just said, God, if you are real, I know I'm not living like you are, but if you are real, I'm making a mess of my life. Will you come and take over? Because I can't do this. I was 27 and a half, and that was my Damascus moment. I'm telling you, I can tell you the day, the night, the event that, that God laid hold of me, and I have forever been seeking to lay hold of that which for which he laid hold of me. 
Are you doing the same? He laid hold of you for something, some purpose, so you can just be happy? Go through life, get the right chick or dude, job, few bucks, the right car. Excuse me. No. I appeal. For our citizenship is in heaven. It's not about here. It's not about what we do here. It's not about what you accomplish here. It's not about all the things that come your way here. Although all of those things will have an impact and have direct effect on the course of your life and the course of your walk with God, etc. You can't just leave those But compass, let's get the compass on. Let's put the sights on. Clearly, no. Our citizenship is in heaven. And here, lastly this morning, in all of about like seconds, four distinct things about the citizen of heaven that knows. First of all, they eagerly wait for the Lord. They're eagerly waiting. This morning, as I stand here before you, I want the Lord to come back. For a lot of things, I couldn't even get my gas card to work yesterday, and I was so impatient. <laughs> you were there with me, John. Yeah. Had to have John hold the, the thing because I couldn't get it. We can question about what are you waiting for? They eagerly are waiting for the Lord, Jesus Christ. Notice, not only do they have a clear understanding of what they're waiting for, they have a clear understanding of who it is. Jesus Christ. Before, we're going to say it again. His name is Jesus. His title is Lord. And his mission is Christ. He came to save. Savior, you know you can invite him to your heart right at home, right here, right now, any moment. You can just say, God, I, I, I've been going to church for a while, maybe a long time. You, I've even read things, but, but do of heaven, is he Lord? They are eagerly waiting for the Savior. They are eagerly waiting for they know who about the subject of the resurrection, that these bodies are going when he comes again, there is a resurrection that will transform this lowly body. Verses 20 and 21, for our citizenship is eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Christ, who is able even to subdue all things to himself. Waiting for the Savior, know who it is they're waiting for. They're on the subject of a transaction and finally, that how is all that going to happen? Don't worry about trying to understand it all. He is clearly able to subdue all things to himself. These folks are clear about Christ to do what he's going to do.